This is a podcast about people who have made big changes after 40. And while my guest today did, in fact, solidify a children's book business in his 40s, we barely even talk about that because he's also a creativity coach. And lately, I've been struggling with my own creative purpose, wondering if any of this matters, and if so, to whom, and when, and where exactly are those people? It is so freaking hard to change anything, but to expose your soul to the world through your art, that might be the most vulnerable thing we can do. And I have had moments, days, weeks even, when I've wondered if anyone cares, Am I wasting my time? Should I surrender to these doubts and return to more familiar, reliable days? How do I know? Who do I ask? Who should I believe? Wait, what was my intention again? Welcome back to I Am This Age, a podcast proving it's never too late, you are never too old, so go do that thing you're always talking about. I'm Molly Sider. And I've been sitting on this episode for a few months because it isn't a typical change story, and I wasn't sure it made sense for the show. But as I edited the episode, I realized not only is it appropriate, it is perfect. It breaks down the creative process. And for those of us making a change or wanting a change or even just creating things you've created before, we all get stuck. We all get feedback from the world that sometimes feels nice and sometimes feels absolutely awful. And we retreat and hide and feel sad and frustrated until we emerge once again with another idea or iteration. And I am getting ahead. But please listen through this episode fully because it is so important and helpful to anyone creating literally anything at all. And yes, we are all always creating whether we know it or not. Andrew Newman grew up in South Africa. His family owned a jewelry business where he worked until he better understood his own creative spark and how he could share it with the world. He's lived all over Europe and eventually the U.S. working as a healer, a poet, a children's book writer, and now also a creative coach. His children's book series, Conscious Bedtime Stories, are incredible and a great holiday gift, hint, hint. I recently took part in one of his Creative Cycle workshops, and it was so cool. But I will stop talking about how great Andrew is and let you hear it for yourself. So without further ado, please enjoy Andrew Newman. You are listening to roosters. Yeah, they're going to be right here. There's nothing we can do about them. No, Maui has feral roosters, feral chickens everywhere. Uh, there's feral cats and there's feral chickens. And you thought the cats would have dealt with the chickens, but it, nope. Thanks for coming to the party, guys. We might have to use those in the interview at some point for some sound effects. <laughs> hey, I'm Andrew Newman. Uh, I'm author and founder of ConsciousStories.com, creative entrepreneur, healer, therapist. Uh, how old am I? I identify as being about five years old. Um, <laughs> You're just five years old. Yes, that's right. That's right. And I hate in any way trying to be a grown up, but uh, technically I've been revolving around the sun for 49 years. Can you tell us what it means to be a creativity coach? Hmm. Well, for me, creativity is about self-expression. It's about who you are wanting to be expressed in the world. 
I, I wasn't I, I wasn't creative at the age of 30. You know, I didn't identify as that in any way, shape or form. Nobody had ever said to me, wow, Andrew, you're really creative. And so it was this, this quite alarming discovery about myself to realize that I had these uh, poetical nuances and that I had a, a love of writing and actually woodwork. And if you put a paintbrush in my hand, I can do something with it. Uh, but more than that, what I realized is that that until that stage, I was just really in the system. I was in the system of apartheid South Africa, in the control of it, in the education of it, in the way my family did and kind of ran things. But very little of it was about, hey, Andrew, what is it that's arising in you that you want to share and you want to want to express and you want to create? And I, I don't want anybody to be uh, stuck in the territory of withhold and and being externally regulated and, and sort of like having a, an oppressive force over their own self-expression. So I'm here to help people uh, feel permission to shine, uh, to be themselves, to to go through the exploring that that it in, involves because we don't we we everything that new wobbles and uh, and when we when we try to do something new and we try to express ourselves we haven't done it before we're going to need to be ready for the uh, the learning and the growth and the and the uh, the tending and the grit and the grist that come with uh, uh, trying on a new posture and a new way of being so I'm really committed to helping folk find their way with that. Can you explain the four elements of that of the creative cycle as you describe it in your workshops? So the the work of um, the creative cycle is work that's evolved for me out of uh, these years of being creative, and I, I, I it's a new body of work. It's exciting for me to look back over the time where I, I was I was just developing my own creativity, then applying that through uh, various projects, particularly now like 20 kids books um, and and two and a half thousand poems that I've watched people write. That's a whole story. But the creative spark as I watch it arises inside of us like a little impulse. It goes, hi, I've got an idea. And it's like, woohoo, let's go. And we have to steer and nurture and work with that creative spark if we want to have a, a, a feeling and a sense of success and achievement. Because the spark is deep inside of us. It's not yet in the world. Um, and then our hands have to come into work and we kind of cross the threshold from our interior world into the physical world. And we're like, okay, I'm going to write the thing. I'm going to start to work it out into a book. And so we go from, from the territory of Spark into the world of newness. It's a different world. It's a lot slower. It's a lot denser. It's like the world of ideas. It's like, dreamy, let's go. We can, we can hop between any idea. We can turn an idea upside down in our, in our mind in an instant. But once things start becoming physical, uh, they they slow down and and the work gets a little bit harder. We need we need a little bit more um, effort. There's some moments in this where we, we want to tap the brakes, but it's really better if we keep pedaling the bicycle so that we can move forward again. And as our work comes out into the world, the world mirrors us. We have this external experience where the world looks at what we've suggested and says, "What are you thinking?" Or, 
hey, that's beautiful, or amazing, or keep going, or and depending on your parents or your teachers or, or any of your peers and the relationship with those around us, we get all sorts of mirroring that encourages us or um, or encourages us to get back in our box and not do the thing that we thought we might do as an idea. <laughs> but there are lots of head nodding going on here. Um, yes, and unfortunately, yes, yes. that's what Secret happens. Over here. <laughs> no, it's what happens to most of us is that we, we have more of that and then we begin to protect ourselves against that because that's extremely painful. When we first said, hey, I want, it, I want to do a thing and the world said, oh, I don't know that you should, then, then we, we learn to withhold our own spark and our own beauty and our own creative voice. And there's a moment where we have to learn how to listen to the feedback of the world. We have to listen to it without necessarily believing it. We have to take it on board for ourselves. We get to um, evolve our own idea based on what's true for us. But that means standing up in sometimes in opposition to the feedback of the world. Um, And then it, this whole idea goes back below the surface of the world and you get to sit in the, the heart of your own harvest, the, the satisfaction, the feelings of achievement, um, also the, the confusion of the beliefs that are then being formed. It's like, am I going to believe in myself more or less because of this little experience with this spark went out said i'm gonna do a thing and the world said this and we're like oh maybe i shouldn't or maybe i will actually great i'm gonna keep going and we keep going and expressing ourselves um i i hope that comes across it's like it's it's circular in my mind and uh and and it's cyclical a little bit like uh the hero's journey is cyclical for um for joseph campbell uh and 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 this is a place where I'm watching creativity, mindfulness, and and uh, psychology interact with each other in a way that is, I guess, we I'm here for your happiness, your self-expression, your fulfillment, and if you can be expressing yourself, then then our world gets better off for it, and I think you'll probably be happier for it as well. Yeah, could you? use your your creative journey as an example to sort of walk us through this creative cycle. Yeah, let's look at let's look at the the unfolding of conscious stories as a as a way for the cycle. So the first story I didn't know was a story. It was just me having the, the spark and the impulse came up to write a poem. I was sitting on a hillside in Scotland. I wrote the poem and 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 then I I sort of uh, lifted my pen and looked at what I had written. So I was the first mirror to my own piece of creativity. And I could have in that moment been a mirror that said, wow, that's a terrible poem. But actually I was the mirror that said, that's a pretty cool poem. I should do something with that. So I let that first spark of creativity live unedited uh, and I breathed life into it. And um, from there, I said, let's go get a, a, an illustrator. I'd never worked with an illustrator before. It was clunky. We didn't know what we were doing. I worked with a friend who drew pictures who's never illustrated a book before, and we had to work it out as we went. We were in the, the, the phase of the cycle that's all about newness, all about wobble. It took us forever, uh, and um, we, we had some moments where I realized she had been developing the character in my story based on some of her other artwork 
And I was like, oh, it can't look like that. Uh, this character needs to be its own character. And we had to pause and we had to work it out. And so there was this little loop on it's each book has its own creative cycle and its expression that gets it from the seed idea to, to being fuller and more fully formed over the, uh, over the course of the business. Then there were these thresholds of going, okay, these, these internal, these, these four stories that I've made are still somehow below the surface. The world doesn't know about them, even though I've made them. So I needed to cross a threshold there and say, hey, world, I'm doing this thing. And then I had to bear the feedback of the world. And and that looked like all sorts of things. Like I had people correct my spelling and typos and layout and, and design. And what about this? And why don't you that? And um, and and I had to I had to sit with all of that feedback and I had to reference it against something deep inside me that was driving all of this all of this impulse all of this creativity i had to check am i done or is there another story am i done do i want to do more and and uh, and so there were many moments where the very first book when i took it into completion and we had just made it i protected it completely the instruction to my friend the illustrator was you cannot share this with anybody uh, i do not want any external feedback um, you and I are going to work on it together. We finished the book and it sat for four years and nobody knew about it. Um, but it was mine and the protectiveness of it that I was holding over it was what I needed because I didn't yet have the muscle to take feedback. And this this little part of me that was learning to express itself, I really wanted to nurture without without anybody in the outside world coming at me in the way that they had when I was a kid. It's like going, you know, and kind of closing me down. And then so the, so the cycle goes round again. There's an expansion. There's some of the language that I use in the cycle is that there's some waiting and we wait and we wait and we wait and then there's an impulse and that cues some expansion. And so this, the business started to expand. There was now that now six books and and a farmer's market and let's put them in front of people and let's see if people want to pay some money for them <laughs> and um, and then begin to hear what it's like. And it'd like, it'd be great. And then I'd have to wait again. I go into waiting in fullness. And I'm like, I'm tired at the end of a day of a market. There's some money in the, in the, in the piggy bank. And, and, and I have to wait again. I have to wait for the next market. We go into contractual aspect energetically of the wave of creativity. And we go into waiting. And then there's another wave. <gasps> Let's do three more books. Okay, let's go to Montessori events and go and visit this, them travel. I'm like, okay. And then there's an evaluation that, that kind of gets catalyzed by a tax season and, and, and money. Like every year, there's a point where we look at the numbers and the numbers start to give information and the information starts to say, keep going or change direction. And there's, a, there's like an, an analysis of the, of the journey so far that – that takes me back into waiting, back into I don't know what to do. I, that didn't work. What do I do? Let me find a new way. I've got to wait for the new way. I've got to go read. I've got to go explore. Ah, here's a new way. Right, let's go. Expansion and something else happens. Um, and uh, it's it's yeah, it's been one one continual series of these these small loops for each book, um, bigger bigger loops for the collection, and then a bigger loop for the business as it's evolving and. 
as a seven or eight year old business now we've done certainly seven cycles per annum but uh 20 cycles per book if i'm zooming in on it from that perspective and if i'm if i'm looking at one farmer's market then you know thousands of them the waves of expansion feels so familiar (laughs) what about the mirror from like friends and family who may not have understood what you were doing or what you were trying to do what was that like i love that you you reminded me of the word waves it's like this is is exactly right this is like like i can just i saw it visually as you said it there and i was like that's right there's this upwelling wave and you can go to surf it and then it goes quiet the waters go back again and you've got to wait for the next one um and uh the family space was fascinating Uh, um my family haven't you know, my sisters and cousins who are now left have kind of watched from afar going what the hell is this guy doing um uh, obviously i changed a lot my personality changed a lot when i went through the personal development work of healing um i i, I was becoming more myself but i was less relatable to them and who you know they weren't really following that journey yet and i also knew that I knew to choose the people who could enforce and encourage and support my uh, my point of view. Um, it's taken a long time for um, cousins and and sister particularly to begin to see uh, that what I'm creating is a thing and actually the thing has some value, even if not for her, even if it's not in her frame or in their frame or their their approach. It's like oh, you. It seems like it's good for you. And um, it's nice for me to be able to say, hey, we sold 67,000 books last year. And, um, and, and it kind of like that, that ticks a box for, for some, of, some of my supporters who, who want to know that there's a, there's a real business and not just a, a creative playground that's somehow, you know, wasting money. Uh, right. I'm a musician and a composer and... Um... And I'm trying to relate to like some of the things that you're talking about in my own experience. Sometimes we say, for example, like when you're talking about this starts with the idea and then doing the work um, is the tough part. And and so we sometimes say like there's a 30 percent, like a 30, 70 or 40, 60 rule where the idea is only like 30 or 40 percent. But the slog of getting through and, and writing it down and and finishing that initial idea is actually two thirds of that whole process and then you have to deal with that first wave of mirrors like and in my case it was rejection you know uh or or not even rejection but just like maybe not the the grandiose reception that i was expecting you know when i did my first album or something i thought oh the grammys are going to be lining up here and meanwhile i can't get five people to come to my show you know so it's like tumbling isn't it yeah it is and then and that's where it's interesting to hear your story because for me, that's where I stopped. So I guess you could say I was like maybe halfway through the circle, you know, and then I, it took me a long time to build up that confidence to say, no, it's about pushing through. And I feel like you pushed through and you started to get the reception that you needed after continuing through and, and kind of riding off of these cycles. And then obviously you've manifested whatever it is, your wealth or um, the success of the book plural and that's where because you can they they can see a tangible result from that that's where your family kind of then is like the final you know congratulations andrew 
you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, a lot of people kind of myself included for about 10 years stop after that first wave. Well, how do you, I'm just adding on to your question. Like how do you push through, how do you continue through the cycle when you're feeling like, okay, I am maybe at the end of this first cycle, but and now I'm tired and I want to give up. And the mirror is telling me maybe that I'm not good enough. You know, what, what gets you through to start the next cycle again? Yeah. I want to, I want to take, um, I want to take money out of this conversation for a moment. Mm-hmm. And I want to go back to the that deep belly zone of the creative spark. Like as a musician, if you sit down with your instrument, something will emerge. You're just strumming the guitar without even a plan. And the next thing you know, you found a little riff you like that you repeat and next thing you're humming and the next thing there's like there's a something this has been my medicine right i i i've struggled with moodiness i've struggled with depression i've been like lonely in foreign countries i've been like where do i where do i go to to feel uh, my sense of purpose and my connection to myself and I've got to go all the way back to picking up the pen and getting a blank piece of paper. Uh, and so doing that is part of the momentum that uh, uh, pushes things in the pipeline forward. Because I know that I start bottlenecking and I'm like, I've got another book that's ready to go, um, but I, I, don't, I actually don't have any space for it unless I move the next thing further down the line a little bit forward. And I've got to I've got to finish producing that song. I've got to finish producing that book, and then I can produce this book. And it's like, oh, there's another book just behind me. All of a sudden, there's a there's a there's a train track that is that is is working. Uh, also, um, intention is very very um, I- I- important as an ally here. And intention has is is a curious thing. I learned learned about this in the in the the healing school is that in the world of intention or the dimension of intention is actually not emotional. If you can just hook into what it is that, that you're intending to create and you can set your, you, you, you lift your gaze and you look out to where you want to go uh, and you can remember to do that and you stay focused on that, it will pull you to that outcome. Um, and that outcome's not only a physical product or an album, but but the feeling that you get when the album is released, which is which is like actually the, our motivations our, our motivations are not in my experience external, although there's an external representation of it. I'm very excited to be able to hold up a book called The Little Brain People, show you the pictures, and go here it is. Doesn't it look amazing? But in the process of showing you, I'm getting the, the uh, reconnected to the intention that was right at the beginning when I said, I want to make this book. Um, it feels important. Now I've done it and my belly feels filled up with satisfaction. And, uh, and that's what's pulled me. That's what's, you know, when it's gotten hard and when it's gotten, gotten like I'm climbing up the hill, it's, the, it's the, the intention I've been able to come back to. I love that. I talk a lot about intention over expectation and that's such a wonderful, like colorful way of explaining that idea. 
So I love this idea of just going back to your intention and also the the doing creates the movement and the motivation, which I think is a little counterintuitive. We think we have to wait for the motivation to do the thing when in fact, oftentimes it's the thing that actually starts to motivate us, like doing the thing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, my, when I, when I hit the zone, I mean, if I, I, I'm on a, a, I climb out of bed and I'm in brain fog and I can't, uh, I, I, I'm not excited about what the day looks like and I don't know where things are going and, I'm like, okay, just get to the pen, get to the paper, um, have the first cup of tea and sit down. 20, 30 minutes into that process, I have no relationship to time anymore. I've got none of that grumble anymore. Um, I, I'm just in the, the immediacy of, uh, of, the, of the creative moment. It's fascinating to see. I love. I love. I forget whose quote it is, but uh, there's this wonderful line that says, "I don't know what I think until I see what I've written," um, and 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 I'm I'm often typing away, and I'm like, "Whoa, cool idea! Who, who even thought that?" <laughs> I'm like, "This is great," and uh, and so then some somewhere the 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 channel that moves my essence from deep interior through my hands and out into the world is now open and the clouds of mood and digestion and brain fog and all of that are, are, are no longer what I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on something else and I'm just becomes a sweet spot. A little radiant moment. Do you have people that you encounter? Cause what I really like, and I hear from a lot of people that are, successful at what they do in my what my opinion of success is is that they have that clear intention before they begin and do you have do you work with people that might not have a very clear intention and do you have a process maybe that's a layer deeper of of pulling that out of them through your creative uh course and stuff like that creative coaching Uh, absolutely it's a great question in what you're you're alluding to is actually a moment in the creative cycle before the spark emerges there's waiting that happens and we're generally very uncomfortable with waiting when we want to do something especially nowadays (laughs) yeah and uh and we haven't learned the skills of active waiting and the skills of inviting our essence or spirit or soul or whatever your word is to 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 speak up we haven't we haven't learned how to part the waters so that there's a bit of space for an impulse to kind of come in and and yeah so a lot of the the phases of the creative cycle can be represented in the body through through gesture and movement and i will work uh, there's a little there's a little spot just sort of somewhere above the heart but below the throat it's like a little spot and i like to i like to invite people just to kind of imagine you're holding feathers and and you just clear the clear the dust away a little bit it's <sighs> This is where your longings bubble up inside of you from an, in, the, in the anatomy of your energy body. 
this is where longings come. And it's like, what if it's all cloudy? Well, clear the clouds and then and then see if we can get a, get a little bit more vibrancy to come through in that space. And it, it, it's this weaving of mindfulness and, and, um, and attention and embodiment and, uh, and then also the therapeutic space of going, I know that these squirrels are going to come up and you're going to go like, I can't, or is it one of, one of the ones I hear the most often is, is like, does the world really want my idea? Would it even matter if I did this? And uh, Molly is nodding profusely. And, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it's interesting just that sometimes I don't necessarily feel like I have the intention and I'm just like kind of working in the way of it. And it's almost as if I feel, I, I think some people refer to it as brain fog. But I don't know if it's that or just, I, I can't figure out a word for it, but it's almost as if it's a blank piece of paper. And I get, you can almost call it like life writer's block, you know? I, I know the fog. And, uh, and I've seen that, yes, it's, you're not alone in that experience. And, uh, and thank you for kind of naming the word intention again, because actually intention precedes everything. Um, one of the the... The ways that that every meditation and every healing and every class started when I was studying was was our lead teacher Barbara Brennan would say the words align with your intention to be here, and it's kind of like my my body even in saying that now with you can't help but start to start to kind of take a posture that's a bit more a bit more upright because that's what I'm a little bit used to, and I'm. I'm looking for um, quietness because, again, when we get into that space of intentionality, it's actually quite quiet. It's not emotional. It's like this is a little bit like qigong or tai chi or or hara. Uh, these are different words that one uses in that space. You don't have to have. Um, a, a mental list of what you're aligning with. Okay, you don't need to say I'm aligning with myself as a musician. You can, but you don't have to have it, because there's part of this that says I'm aligning with my intention to be here on the biggest possible scale. That I, I mean, I did not choose to be to be Andrew born in South Africa. I had no, I don't, I don't, I just, this is what happened, right? I didn't, didn't necessarily um, have the, the, the knowing that my life would unfold um, in the way that it has, but I trust that there is an unfolding and I'm actually going to align to being Andrew. I mean, from a, from a pragmatic perspective, when we're doing work prioritization and we say in the next hour, this is what I want to get done. We're, we're doing that. We're aligning with our intention for that hour. Um, but from a creative perspective, we can, go, we can go as big as a lifetime and just align with, with being yourself. And we can go as small as, as um, hey, I just want to do 20 minutes of writing. And I'm, I'm going to align with that. And in the aligning with it, I'm going to queue up the waiting that we've spoken about. We're going to queue up the invitation for this spark of, self we literally asking ourselves at a deeper level what do you want to say what do you want to do what do you how do you want to be right now and then uh, and then taking 
I mean, as a percentage wise on an hour, if you can do five minutes of that at the start of the hour, the hour will unfold in a completely different way um, to if you just jumped in at the beginning without considering how the hour is going to go. Do you think that anyone can be creative or has some creativity in them? Like We're doing it all the time. We're doing it all the time. This is not, this is not about writing poems or painting paintbrush. This is like, what am I making for dinner tonight? And, and the kitchen counter is empty and there's nothing and you open the fridge and you look at the things that are there and you go to the cupboard and you look there and you look at the spices and you think about what it is that it, you might want the flavor to emerge and you begin to, to put that together. And uh, in the fullness of that little creative cycle, there is a meal in front of you on the plate that didn't exist. Uh, it came out of nothing in a way that didn't exist uh, 20 minutes, half an hour, three hours before, depending on how you were cooking it. Um, so this, this, it's entirely our nature to be uh, expressing ourselves um, and uh, it is always creative in that it comes, comes out of nothing and gets shaped into something and it, there's always feedback. There's always like, hmm, that chicken was overcooked or my goodness, that was great. Um, and then there's always the sit back and the satisfaction where we go like, like, do I feel satisfied or am I just caught in the judgments of how terrible that was? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, the frame that I want to hold over creativity. And then, in, and then at the same time, to speak to your question about, which I think is speaking more about paintbrushes and art and, 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 and woodwork or, or look at TikTok. I mean, I know where TikTok, what, where all the, all those people before TikTok, how are they expressing themselves creatively? It's amazing what right. people That's do. A good on point. That. Just, yeah. right. The world loves creativity. We like being like expressive and then, and then the comments come in and the haters hate and the lovers love and, uh, and we get on and create the next video because it's not worth right. stopping because one person thought we were we were a dunce. Right. But that makes so much sense. Like, you're right. Everything we do is creative. We're always making creative decisions. I love that idea when you've been set in your ways and you haven't actually expressed yourself creatively very much or that you've really thought of as creative, you know, in your whole life. Like, how do you access that? And what a wonderful place to start. Like, oh, well, I cook or I like fashion or whatever it is. That Look at the little things on a daily basis. Do you have a daily practice that you do? Do you do daily meditations and stuff like that? I, I have. Um, and I think that the way that it's integrated now for me is with those words, align with your intention to be here and with the embedding of that into um, how I structure my time, how I start my, my team meetings, it's a mix between you know basic time management skills and embodied time management skills and uh the one of the other practices that uh, that has has really blossomed and evolved is the one that's at the start of all of my kids books which is called the snuggle breathing meditation and uh it's four simple breaths that i invite parents or grandparents uh, aunts and uncles whoever's reading together to do um, why don't we do it together? This is like something that we can 
all we should have done this ages ago. How long have we been talking? Why didn't we? Why didn't we start with a snuggle breathing meditation? Hey, well, we can do it now. We're here now. We do it right now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's right. This is one of the things that when I remember it, we do it. Um, and so it's four simple breaths. I come along. Um, so, first breath, breathing in. I breathe for me. You just take a nice breath in. I breathe for me. I breathe for you. I breathe for us. And I breathe for all that surrounds us. And then I just kind of sit for a moment. like i don't know what happened like like i i want to hear what happened for you there david like what is that like just to take four breaths together well i mean the first thing is i know what i'm getting my niece for hanukkah now Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i always go in and out of times of life where i remember to breathe and forget to breathe when i'm just reminded the whole body just releases and it allows me to be in the moment, which is then now I'm realizing can allow me to set my intention and, and, and gets me out of my brain into my body. With the, with the kids, often I have them stretch their arms if we're doing Zoom story time. So you breathe in and reach up to the sky and then yeah. <sighs> and their arms come down. So it, just, it starts to be an even more of an embodiment uh, experience. These four breaths are a teacher for me. They were like, they started when I was traveling and I was... Uh, far away from from a girlfriend and I wanted to be able to connect and I said hey want to take a breath together and we we just kind of evolved it a little bit and we did we did one or two and from the other side of the world it was like it feels like you're right here it's interesting that's exactly what I thought I said what an interesting way for me to reach through this camera in a completely different part of the country world and feel united with the three people on this internet chat. And we synchronize. We know from the brain sciences that there's some mirror neuroning going on. We're sitting here. And if my brain is in reptilian mode, worried about saber toothed tigers, your brains are tuned right into that. They know they're like, they're watching. They're like, like, you you know, your, your, your muscles will be tighter. Your butt will have, will have clenched. It'll be like, what's going to happen. We, something feels like it's about to happen. And here, what we do together is we get to just uh, regulate the nervous system. We get to attune to ourselves and we get to harmonize and attune with each other. And it's, uh, as I said, it's still teaching me. It's, it's, uh, I'm often getting new insights as to the profoundness of these four breaths. And um, we're often hearing from, from families and I know of, of kids who are like, eight or nine months old, attuning with their mothers on breath, which just feels beautiful even talking about. And uh, we've got teachers who are using this in the classroom that are able to invite the, the whole class just to come into a state of, of regulation. And it is a, a very good transition tool between 
whatever you've been doing and whatever you want to do next. It's so interesting to see how all parts of your life have influenced the next and how they kind of like all fuse together. Isn't that what happens when you get sort of quiet and clear on your intention, right? When you're like living your intention. Yeah, when you're aligned with who you are. I've just developed such deep trust of this little, it's not even a voice inside me because the voices are like, I have squirrels inside me and those guys I don't like listening to. (laughs) And roosters. (laughs) (laughs) Roosters. And that alignment with and trust of my own, my own creative impulse and, and, and others we can think of that mirror of the world as something that mirrors us, but then we need to look at our role as participants in the mirroring of those around us. We're, we're all actively participating in nurturing or denying other people and their creativity and their ideas. We're doing it constantly, whether we realize it or not. And so let's get skillful about it, bring it into awareness so that we can see that we're uh, potentially the one person who might be the voice, the only voice of encouragement for the person that's in front of you, whether it's the checkout clerk at the, at the grocery store. Uh, whenever I'm, I'm having a, 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 a heart-to-heart moment with a five-year-old who's showing me the picture they drew, it's like I'm the, I'm the mirror this is me. I'm, this is my job right now, my opportunity right now to be encouraging. And I have to learn the skill of encouragement and not just make everybody special. That's different. There's finesse involved in this. But the, in the intentional heart of positivity and the warmth and the welcome to receive someone's uh, new ideas and new self-expression and what they share is uh, uh, is really helpful, uh, and I'm not you know I'm not being like you know if the joke's not funny you're not going to laugh. They're not forcing anything. <laughs> yeah, the body the body laughs when it finds. I something had that funny. painful experience of not laughing at a comedian too, and it's like oh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? How do you tell them? How do you tell them? <laughs> I think it's that. Well, for me, it's that idea of staying curious, like. I think we're so we're often so quick to judge. And I think for for me what I am constantly trying to do my intention is stay curious, stay curious, stay curious. Yeah, it's a beautiful intention. It's a, it's a great remedy. And I mean, we've got to call it what it is. It's judgment and we all do it. We all do it all the time. Um and and part of the the reason we do it is to create safety somehow we've misunderstood that uh, me judging you makes me safer. I don't know. It keeps you at a little bit of a distance in a little bit of a way. And uh, we've got old narratives of competitiveness uh, that uh, that don't that don't hold up in the world of intentionality in the world of creativity. There is, there is space for, uh, in fact, what you can do, Molly, nobody else can do. Um, Except and, me. And, but no, what you do, <laughs> David, joking. nobody else can do. David, you're doing, you're doing David, you're doing Molly, I'm doing Andrew. 
and yeah. uh, and this is not this is not you know this is not Amazon where everybody's trying to sell tripods. Uh, this is this is the individual unique um, expression of self, and there is space for that. And w- w- learning that uh, in the face of the judgments we received as a kid. Um, we think we need to pay those judgments forward because it's what we inherited. And then when we start doing the inquiry, actually we can relearn that the judgments from childhood on are, they were, they were shitty. And (laughs) um, I like, and I agree with you that everybody has the capacity to create. I think in a tangible capitalistic society, some people are afraid to take that leap because they don't know how, how can they monetize it? And that seems to, I mean, I'm not saying it was an easy feat for you, but you seem to have managed that. David, this was actually going to be my next question. It's like you read, you like read my, but like, what do you think it is? What is the thing that some people have to be able to find success in the form of like recognition or monetization through their creative expression? Like, what is that thing? In other words, like, what do we creatives need in order, what do you think we need in order to find that type of success and that definition of success? So you have to be willing to share what it is that you create. If you, if you hide it, then, then you can't. The mechanistic business side of how, I don't need to talk about that. There's, that's going to be filling your, your, your Instagram feed with advertisements. People are offering that all the time. Uh, but but we have to fill up ourselves with our expression. We have to fill up our garage with the things we painted. We have to fill up our hard drives with the music that we've created, and and we have to go out and share it. Um, and uh, if we do that, then the potential of success is is uh, is there. And at that stage, we need some. Most of us in the artistic space need some help, and I'm I'm included in that. I, I'm. Here's where the here's where the jewelry store business helped me because I, I grew up around a, a dinner table that was inherently entrepreneurial and was always about uh, about small business, and so there were things that I was ex- was exposed to that that helped me understand that you know I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Not well, not my first company. My first company is manufacturing hammocks in South Africa, and I lost a lot of money and learned a lot in the process. And so that's when we've got to start looking for who can support us best to to get things out. But from the from the the direction of um, big the big business like like Amazon, the only thing that we're going to have left that we can really monetize for ourselves and compete in is going to be our creative self expression. Everything else is copyable, so bring it. Bring it, bring it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, bring it. Okay, so Andrew, in the beginning, um, I asked you to introduce yourself. Would you please reintroduce yourself without using descriptors like author, therapist, speaker, friend, etc.? I had someone. I had someone years ago say to me that I was a, a jeweler of souls, and she knew that she knew a bit of my background, and she had watched me go into the healing space, and. Um, I just felt very seen, but uh, I love this. Hi, I'm Andrew Newman. Um, I am creative. Uh, I am spiritually minded, hearted, and driven, uh, and I'm deep AF. Uh, 
just uh, <laughs> with with a whole lot of playfulness <laughs> to to balance it out. Deep AF. <laughs> Where can people find um, the children's books? There. Uh, first of all, would you like to say the name? Oh, sure, absolutely. You can you come and come and look for the collection of conscious stories at consciousstories.com. And you can hang out on uh, Insta with uh, uh, Conscious Bedtime Stories. You can hang out with me personally on Insta with Andrew Sam Newman. And that's where the emerging work of the creative cycle is uh, coming into fruition. Uh, I would love you to come and join a, a Zoom workshop about the creative cycle. Then you get the visual elements to what it is that we've been talking about here today. Um, you get to know when you know where you are in your own cycle. You also know what to do next and which way to go, which is extremely calming to the nervous system and very, very helpful. I just want to say that I I was lucky enough to sit in on one of the workshops when Andrew was still, I think, working out the workshop. Mm. Um, and it was awesome. Thank you. It was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> it was really fun. It's like we just sat and we got to sit sit in a friend's lounge out in Chicago and have some friends around and drink a glass of wine and and do make personal development playful. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was super fun. And then we went in the hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did molly supply the wine because it's always good when molly supplies the wine i did not oh, okay womp womp. Womp womp. um thank you so much for doing this andrew and it was nice to see your face oh such a pleasure molly and a pleasure to meet david likewise thank you for sharing your knowledge on our podcast here Thank you to David Ben Perat for sound engineering, Dan Davin for the music, David Harper for the artwork. I Am This Age is produced by Jellyfish Industries. I'm Molly Sider. And if you have a podcast that you want produced or edited or music for, we do all of that. Contact info at jellyfishindustries.com for more information. Or if you just need to be life coached, well, there's nothing I like to talk about more. And I happen to be certified. Contact Molly at jellyfishindustries.com for more information. If you're loving these episodes, subscribe, rate, review, and share with everybody you know. Scream it from the rooftops. Thanks for tuning in and catch you all next time. We love you, Cousin Becky. (laughs) 